All right, so we're going to hear a lot of relationship advice from Seth the next couple weeks. And uh, if you saw the Instagram video, that got a lot of views. It was like 1,500 views or something like that, maybe less or something. And, uh, and he's, he's a wise goldmine of relationship advice. So I hope that you would uh, check into that. Um, if you've got Bibles, turn to Genesis 1, uh, verses 27, 28. Uh, we're not putting them on the screen anymore, so please bring your Bible. If you don't have one, ask us for one. We can give it to you. You can keep it for free. That's some goodness. Um, guys, thanks for coming here on Valentine's Day, which means, obviously, number one thing, none of y'all had dates, praise the Lord. And, uh, and so you guys are all single, ready to mingle, whatever that uh, goodness is, and you are here at youth, which we are pumped about. Okay, Genesis 1, 27 to 28. This is, wow, just had it. And uh, this is what it says. It's about Adam and Eve in the beginning. God makes all of the stuff. And uh, this is what he says. The very first command that he says. It says this, uh, verse, chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So at the beginning of all of this, God makes us, which is kind of a really cool thing for us to know, okay? And then God goes on to do something really interesting in the language that he uses for us, okay? So at times in church or at youth or whatnot, uh, we have a really bad kind of tendency to go, uh, don't do this, 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 and make everyone feel bad about the stuff that they're kind of going through. And it always seems kind of more negative off the bat. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But I want you to listen to the language that God uses before anything else, before the world is sinful, before these regulations and rules kind of come into play. Look at what he says here. Verse 28. And God blessed them. So what's about to happen, what's about to come next is a blessing. Okay. This is really cool. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So all of a sudden he says to Adam, Eve, hey, listen, um, the very first thing I want you to do before anything else, the very first thing I want you to do is make some babies, man. Make some babies. That's the very first thing. God, in the greatest blessing so far that it says he blessed them, the very first thing he says, man, bump those uglies and get some babies out. That's what he's saying. Make some babies. And we look at that and we're like, man, isn't it crazy that God saw this whole idea of sexuality, this idea of intimacy as a, as a positive, as a blessing off the bat? And that's not so much about how we kind of talk about it. But first off, what we need to realize is this whole idea of intimacy, relationships, dating, sex, if that's where it gets to in, in marriage, hopefully if that makes sense for us. It's God's idea. It's God's plan. It's not like two people found each other one day, went, okay, how do we do this? And God went, oh my gosh, that's not what they're for. No, it was his plan, it was his idea. He was the one who came up with this stuff. And at times I have to apologize for the church as a whole as if we looked at you and we've said, um, you know, 
It's such a horrible thing. It's a bad thing. It should make you feel dirty. And then people have a lot of problems when they get into marriage. They feel like they still can't even get into that kind of relationship because all they've known their whole life is this is a dirty thing. This is a bad thing. This is a wrong thing. And that's the mentality that we cannot have. That's the thing that we have to, as a community, as a family with one another, look to each other, call each other out, be accountable, but also be in community with one another. I think one of the biggest things that we've done in dating is we've kind of gone solo. You know those people who all of a sudden they get a girlfriend and they disappear off the planet and you're like, what the heck, bro? We used to play video games every day after school and this girl came in and ruined everything and then immediately you as a bro like hate that girl because she took your friend. That's kind of the mentality that we get ourselves into is this isolation game. But community is something so beautiful. If you're a Christian in the house and uh, you've been baptized, what you have been called to is that you have become in the fold of the church. You are a member of what we have here. And for you not to be in community is actually an act of defiance to what you've already agreed to. You hear what I'm saying? If you have said, I am a follower of Jesus, I want to do this for the rest of my life, then you are called to live in community, to live with people, even in your dating relationship, which means that here, the way that we do community is through community groups. So we're calling you, listen, you have to be plugged in. If you're a face who comes in here and goes every single week and no one knows who you are, it's on you to get yourself plugged in. We're gonna try as best as we can to say hi, say hello, but if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you are called to be family here. That is what the job is in the church. Not, it doesn't have to be this youth ministry. It could be another youth ministry. It could be another church. It doesn't really matter as long as you are part of a community. You have to do it with each other. Sex is good. Relationships are good. And they are all made by God. But we find ourselves in a really interesting place here in 2017 with the modern dating scene. There are so many terms for what it is that you all do with one another. Uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, we're, we're interested in one another. It's probably the first one. Yeah, I don't really know what we are. It progresses rapidly. Then you go to, yeah, we, you know, we kind of have a thing. Oh, snap. We're, we're dating. We're exclusive. Oh, snap, that's about marriage. Oh my gosh, like this is, how, it's so confusing nowadays. You have all of these terms, you have all of this language, you have all of these different things. And dating, as we talked about last week, is such a hard thing because the Bible recognizes three relationships, right? It talks about the relationship with your neighbor, the relationship with your family, and the relationship with your spouse. And we as a culture, which dating is like 80 years old, have created dating and put it right in between. Neighbor, family, Spouse, and we put it kind of in here, and what dating does is it borrows from both categories. Okay, you treat them like you really care for them, you, you, you love on them, and then you, you, you kind of, you know, you have to almost be exclusive, like it's a weird marriage, and if you cheat on them, like, uh, it's like you like divorced, or like you had adultery, like it's this really weird mindset that we kind of have when we put into it. And what begins to happen is you kind of get into a situation with a guy or a girl, and, and you begin to look at them, and you start to get the feels, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, Justin Bieber's baby starts playing in your head every single time you see them. You're like, come on, somebody, you know? You look at them and you have this reaction. What begins to happen in every single one of those relationships? Remember, God created sex. It's an intimate thing. It's a good thing. And he created a process for this to kind of go down. And everybody knows the process, right? You meet someone for the very first time and you might do the awkward, like, I don't know if we, if we shake hands or high five and you kind of go up and... 
And then you just grab their wrists or something weird like that. And you're like, okay. Uh, and then the next time you see them like, man, she had a nice face. And you walk up and, and all of a sudden what happens is you, 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 you know, the next, you might pat them on the shoulder and you're like, whoa, okay, that was a big step up for me, you know? The next time you see them, maybe the, the relationship grows a little bit more and you move from, you know, tap on the shoulder to, to give them a good old Christian side hug, right? <laughs> then the relationship progresses even more and from the, from the Christian side hug, you go to, it's a big step, but the full frontal, you know? After the full frontal, you, you see them again, you're starting to talk to them a little bit more, you've creeped them and, and talked to them on Instagram or whatever that you guys do now. And uh, the next time you see them, you know, you have a little bit of a relationship and instead of the quick full frontal, you do the full frontal and then you linger. And then one of the two begins to, for some odd reason, I don't know why this is the rule of life, begin to do circles on the back. So then we moved on to full frontal with the linger and the circles, and, and, and then now it's getting serious, okay? This is movie stuff going on about now. Next time, maybe you're like, oh, I wanna ask this girl on a date, and, and, and let's, you know, let's, keep, let's keep moving, let's keep doing this, and, and you're in a movie, you're watching a movie, whatever it is, maybe it's uh, uh, Lego Batman, I don't know, and you're sitting there with this girl, and your hands are getting sweaty, and you're like, I gotta go for that hand today. Today's the big old day. You're kind of going through your mind, how do I go, do I go around her? You know, do I go under the seat? Like, what do I do? Y'all are laughing because it happened. Um, and, uh, and so you awkwardly do um, what I like to call mom walking you across the street, which is the awkward cup, you know? You're cupping. For some of you, that was this morning when your mom walked you to school and you do that awkward cup with that individual. And then this might be the biggest jump of all. You go from the cup to interdigits. Come on, somebody, right? This here is like union of souls. This is, this is a big moment for every single person in a relationship. This, this one right here. And then you're like, man, we're, whew, we're holding hands. Some good stuff. Let's jump it a little bit more of a step and get into, maybe you've never heard of this term before, but let me let you in as an experienced man. Kissing, okay? Next step is the kiss. And the kiss has three different stages. There's the peaches, there's the prunes, and there's the alpha alpha. Those are the three stages of kissing. You might be looking at me going, um, okay, how do fruits and tangible lip-to-lip -lip action come together. Well, let me uh, inform you. Peaches, prunes, and alpha, alpha, okay? Uh, look at my uh, good old Beyonce lips right here, and uh, I know now you're like, oh my gosh, that's who it was. Anyways, uh, okay, peaches, prunes, alpha, alpha. Those are the three steps, okay? Uh, uh, so look, look at my lips. Uh, peaches, peaches, peaches. It's a nice old peck. Go the next step, and you know, it's getting serious, and you go to uh, prunes, prunes, prunes. Prunes, and, uh, and then you hit the last stage, which is the uh, alpha, uh, alpha, alpha. That's the last, uh, that's the last stage. All right, so you got uh, peaches, 
Caroons and the Alpha Alpha. Uh, and then um, after that, we're not going to get too much into detail, uh, but we're going to categorize all the rest of the stuff as, um, as, as uh, my youth pastor called it, uh, Star Trek touching. Um, hands have gone where no other hands have gone before, and that's uh, the last kind of group, and that's the progression. Right? So God in the beginning makes sexuality, makes this idea of intimacy with somebody else a good thing. And all of a sudden he creates progression to kind of go. When you start, you're going the whole way through. You want to progress. You want to move on. Man, this is, this is the girl. She gives you the feels. You look at her in the eye. Her eyes sparkle. You're like, oh my gosh, this is my wife or whatever. You start doing all this kind of a thing. And God had created such a path for this through all of those motions. And the first thing I would like to tell you as a piece of advice, regardless of whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian in this place, is please, for the love of God, wait at every stage as long as you possibly can. When you were in the fifth grade and you held a girl's hand for the first time, it's goosebumps, you know? You're sitting there going like, this is heaven on earth, you know? The next time you, you give a girl a, the, the circle hug for the first time, you're like, man, this is a big moment for me. And the crazy thing about the way that God created all of this to happen is every single one of those is a big moment. It's fun. It's exciting. Why do you have to rush through things? Enjoy what you have. Enjoy going from the cup to the interdigits. Enjoy the weird, awkward Christian side hug. Enjoy the, like, just have those moments, those things. Keep them as long as possible because what's going to happen is, say, if you go into a relationship, um, you date a girl for the first time and you get all the way to, uh, let's say, peaches. The next time you date a girl, you're going to want to start from that place and keep going. Which means that the, the amazing moments that you had with the first person, you've now skipped with the second person and you've lost a little bit of the excitement. From moving from the hug to the handhold to, to the kissing, like you've, you've lost that movement. You just wanted to skip right to where you left off. And now you begin to see how distorted it kind of makes the next relationship and then the next relationship and the next relationship. And then now you understand why we have such a culture of before in the olden days, it was, hey, let me give you pieces of myself as we progress through this. Now what we have is instead of sex being the last final, all me giving you and, and knowing you fully, We've made it the first thing and skipped all the rest. And that's how you truly know someone. It's dangerous to guys. Man, I've been in high school where we're sitting in, we're sitting in the cafeteria, a bunch of guys are talking about, oh, dude, I did this with this girl this weekend. Man, I did this with this girl this weekend. And you can see the table turn where they look at this guy and they go, man, he did that? I've only done this. Now that's the standard of what I have to get to. It's a dark place out there. Did you see what just happened in their mind? I have to get to blank. What does that have to do with the girl? Nothing. It's all about them. And one of the most beautiful things that you have to understand in this is this, is this idea of Song of Solomon is this uh, like Jewish erotic poem in the Bible, which is kind of crazy. Orthodox Jews aren't allowed to read it until they're 30 years old, okay? Because that's how, like, spicy it is, you know? And the whole story is this guy and this girl, and they're married, and they're, like, you know, um, 
doing their thing. And the, the girl has all of like her girlfriends around and the girlfriends are asking for advice. And the girl says, I have one piece of advice for you. And I, I think it's the most important thing. And I would echo that to you guys. And she says, do not awaken love too early. Do not awaken love too early. Man, if this becomes a game to you, you have no idea how people get hurt. I'll let you in on a secret. This whole series is one that I never wanted to do. The fact that I'm up here talking about relationships, I hate this right now. Because that's how I got burned. Really bad. I look over and over and over and over again at the things that really hit me to the core and it was people joking around about things. It destroyed me. And now I'm looking to you guys and I'm, I'm understanding how these things are beginning to work and, and I'm just saying, please do not treat this as a game. Think about this for a second. Look at the implications of what it can do. Look at your relationships in a completely different way for one second from everything the world's telling you about how to do stuff. What does Jesus have to say about this kind of a thing? Right, Jesus is, is the greatest person to have ever lived. He is one of the most, he is the most famous individual in the history of the world. And he has something to say about relationships. And even though he didn't have a wife, he didn't have a spouse, you get to see the way that he treated people and the rhythms in which he did. And now we have to also follow through on those as well. One of those things we find in Matthew 14, which is a, a beautiful text. And uh, what begins to happen is this whole idea of uh, Jesus really puts the precedent of, let me put your needs before my wants. Let me put your needs before my wants. In every relationship he has, it's not even in this intimate relationship. In Matthew 14, his cousin dies, John the Baptist. He's murdered, he's killed. You can imagine the, 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 the rumors, the, the stories coming back to Jesus. And you, what's the first thing you would think he would do? probably cry, grieve. Imagine if a family member of yours passed away. You probably wouldn't want to do a whole lot of things. And as soon as he finds out about this issue, all of these people crowd around him. They go, Jesus, we're hungry. We have no food. In that moment, what does he do? What, what does, he do? does he jump away? Does he run away? Does he go, no, no, I, this is for me right now. This is what I want. No. He takes away his grieving and says, let me do something for you. And one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, the miracle of the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000 is after his cousin dies and nobody even gives him a second to grieve. And what he begins to do as a man is put their needs before his wants. You think that's it? No, because he goes into the garden and he prays, listen, Father, take this cup away from me. Don't allow me to die for this. If there's any other way, do it. God says to him, no, you have to do this. And what did he do in that moment? It said that his face looked at Jerusalem like flint. It would never change. He knew what was gonna happen. And what did he do in that moment? He put our needs above his wants. It's the rhythm it's what we're called to do. And yet we're here in relationships with one another. And trust me, you're going to have wants. 
This whole idea of movement when it goes from um, the the little intricate, awkward high five to full-blown sex is this quick downward slide. You're going to want to go quickly. You're going to go fast because you have wants. You're going to have feelings. You're going to have these things that you desire to have. And all all what you're going to do is you're going to think of what you want in this. What do I want? What do I want? What do I want? And never looking at what do they need. Guys, you know, one of the most important things about women is that they care about exclusivity. It's just me and you. It's just me and you. It's backwards the way that we work. You've heard this term, it's famous. Guys give love to get sex. Girls give sex to get love. We have this feeling, we have these wants. Our friend just told us how far they went with a girl. Now we're going, okay, now let's, now let's push the ante and let's try and get there. Stop playing games, please. This is bigger than you. This is bigger than just what you want, how you're feeling in that moment. There are other people that are affected by this. Think of their needs and don't just think of your wants. With that question is gonna come an obvious question that everybody begins to ask. Okay, so if I'm a Christian in the room, I wanna save myself from marriage because that's the rhythm in which God started this whole thing. One man, one woman together forever. And that's where they reach the climax or the the epitome of of sexual intimacy. Where do we kind of start with this? What does that mean for us? First of all, I'd say that thing has to stay there for marriage. It's the most basic of of ideas. So then the question would go, okay, so how far is too far, right? Everyone begins to ask it. How far is too far? And the one thing about it, not to kind of get around the question, but for a second, I'll get to it, but I want you to realize how jacked up that question is. How far is too far? Like how close to the line can I get? How close to sinning can I get? a bit jacked up, no? Like you don't do that with anything else in life. Okay, how close to murder can I get? You know, if I put the neck, if I grab his neck and I put a knife like as close as, is that okay? If 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 I take someone's money and almost take it and then kind of back away, is that okay? If I'm about to punch a kid in the face, and, I, and for some reason, my ninja focus came in and I stopped like an inch short. Is that okay? You translate it to everything else and you go, yeah, it's a bit jacked up. It is a bit weird of a question to ask. But the question still needs to be answered for people who need to know what to do. What I would say, and the problem with dating is that it is so great, it is so weird, especially in scripture, that this is going to come to almost advice and opinion, doesn't talk about that question. For me, what I would say to you guys on the practical note is probably kissing is gonna be as far as you're gonna wanna go. Whether that's a peaches, prunes, alpha, alpha, I'll leave that up to you and Jesus, whatever you guys wanna do, whatever, but that's probably the last, the last stop. It's hard. I'm not trying to put this lightly, it's hard. You're gonna have the feels, 
You're gonna see them and there should be this attraction to them. That's why you're dating them in the first place. You're gonna have those emotions. You're gonna have those things. But don't give in. Because you'll be a stronger man for it. You'll be a stronger woman for it. You can do it. I've done it. Gone through a relationship for a long time and just kissed. It's hard, but you can do it. Now there's another side of this that I think we need to kind of, we need to hit on. The rhythm at the beginning in Genesis 1, 27, 28 is this, is that sexual intimacy in this relationship is something that's given away. Your love is given away. And now, and I feel like I harp on this all the time, but pornography has done this really weird thing where it's changed the definition of sexuality. It's changed it in such a way where it says, now it's something that you can do on your own. And so a lot of people begin to ask me the question all the time, is it okay for uh, me not to watch porn, but to do the deed? I don't watch anything, so I'm not doing any of that, but I'm still doing the action. And then I would look to them and I would say, no because sexuality is never something meant to be done alone. It's always something to be given. It's always something to, to, to look at someone else and go, I wanna give everything I have to you. And at times we don't think of how beautiful this actual action is. Two people together for the very first time, realizing first things for the first time, getting to know the intricacies of the other person's body, in a safe environment where I realize, man, I, I'm okay with this because I know you're never gonna leave. It's safe, it's, it's freedom, it's, it's beautiful. That's the way that you have to see this. God has such a beautiful plan for the things that you are to do in life. It's about their needs and not your wants. Um, a couple of practical pieces of advice that I would say. This is just advice. Just don't think this is biblical authority or whatever. What I would say, and uh, this is what I did, and I think it honestly helped my definition of the word. Do not tell people that you love them. Do not tell people that you love them. I think it's such a beautiful thing. The only person that I've ever told I loved is my wife exclusive to her. She's the only one that can say, man, in, in a relationship of this manner, I'm the only person he said this to. Imagine how beautiful that is for you as a guy to save that word for your wife. Because it actually means something then. We don't just toss it around to every single girl. Oh, I love you love you, and then you get a girlfriend and you're still telling your friends that you love them and then your girlfriend looks to you going, why the heck are you saying that? That's a bit jacked up. And you go, well, it's just a word. And now look at what you've done. You've just screwed it up for yourself. And now it means nothing to you. The next thing, uh, just in terms of practicality, and it's so awkward, don't sit on each other's laps. It makes everyone so weirded out when you're around them. They're like, seriously, come on, get off, you weirdos. I was at the coffee shop the other day, no word of a lie. This dude is reading a book, okay? Reading a book and he has a girl on top of him as they're reading the book. And they're reading it to one another, giving them sweet nothings and she's nibbling on his ear. And I wanted to walk up and go, stop it, stop it. The two of you, no, no. And I almost threw the coffee on, like it was disgusting. Don't do that. 
makes people feel weird, okay? Don't people that you love them, don't nibble on the ear, none of that nonsense, stop it. Forget you. Anyways. And the thing about it is no one's perfect. I am not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect whatsoever. I, um, I, I was like 18 years old and no word of a lie. I got my heart broken by a girl and it was one of the options why I left and quit my job at a church, okay? That's how much it wrecked me. I just left and I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. My heart is broken. I'm, uh, uh, and, uh, and I left, I took off and, and that was my kind of thing. It was just, I need to avoid this. I need to distance myself. I need to get out of here. And some of you are gonna feel that. Some of you are going to feel heartbreak in this room. You're going to like someone so deeply and they're going to just be either playing a game or not feel the same way. What I would say is obviously come into that relationship not making them the only thing. Not making them the idol. Like We've talked about this. Broken saviors, intimacy, where all of a sudden you get into a relationship and you mistake intimacy for trust. As soon as you hold someone's hand for the first time, you're like, man, this is a really big moment for me. And then because you're so intimate with one another, you feel like you can tell them everything. You mistake intimacy for trust and then you tell them all of these things and then they betray you, they break up with you, they go with your best friend or whatever. And all of a sudden you're like broken. I trusted this person. Do not awaken love too early because your expectations are gonna be completely different in two different categories. I was a guy, um, this, is, <laughs> this is one of the best stories of all time. Um, I was in high school in the 10th grade and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll backtrack. I was in the eighth grade and um, me and this girl were like, like hey, and uh, super into each other. And then classic eighth grade relationship, we were like, hey, let's date. And she's like, okay. And then it lasted a whole week and I was broken. and. Uh, and all of a sudden, I go away for the summer, and I'm like, okay, I need to get this girl back. Like, and I was in Portland for the summer, so we were kind of using uh, Facebook or whatever, messaging back and forth, back and forth. She's like, oh, I totally want to date again. I'm like, I want to date you too. Oh, my gosh. And uh, get back to school. Get back to school. I'm like, I'm going to put, you know, the game on this girl, whatever. And I realized as soon as I got back to school that she was dating my best friend. And I was like, there's two options here. One, um, I leave it. Two, this is a challenge. And I took it as a challenge. So what I did was uh, behind my best friend's back, I would send her all these sweet nothings on Facebook. Come on, girl. You know he don't like you as much as I do. Look at my lips. Come on. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was playing the game. And all of a sudden what happened was uh, this girl breaks up with my best friend. And when they're breaking up, she says, well, there's someone else and, and he really likes me and I want to give him a chance. So I'm like, yes. And then my best friend comes to me, crying on my shoulder. He says, she said there's someone else, man. She wants to give him a chance. I'm like, dude, forget that guy, you know? Who cares about that dude, you know? I can't, who would ever do that to you? Who would just go behind your back and take your girlfriend? What an awful human being. And then two weeks later, we started dating. And, uh, and then he, ever since, looked at me in the face and was like, I hate you. Even to this moment, he was my best man at my wedding. At my wedding day, he looked at me and said, I hate you. And you stole my girlfriend in the 10th grade, ninth grade. And, uh, and it was a crazy moment. But even there, it seems so insignificant. It seems so small, but he was actually hurt by it for a long time. 
we had to fix that up. We had to, to patch things up. And then um, it was, it was kind of crazy. The last piece of advice that I would want to give to you is, uh, is we as Christians in the house, actually two pieces of advice. We as Christians in the house like to use this term, um, and it's the worst term in the entire world. Never use this term. God told me to blank. God told me to blank. Let me tell you a funny story one time. I'm dating this girl for a while. She may or may not be in the room. And uh, we were dating. And uh, I, was a, I was a young man, you know, uh, head over heels in love. And uh, she looked to me after a month of dating and said, God told me that I need to be alone. Okay, A, you can neither confirm nor deny that she is in the room. What do you do? Do you look at her and get mad? No. Why? Because the big guy, he said it. So I'm sitting there going, are you serious right now? Come on, dude. You told her we shouldn't date? And then what happened? A month and a half later, she's dating another guy. I can neither confirm nor deny she is in the room. And... Uh, but what begins to happen is this term all the time for Christians begins to be the cop-out. Well, God told me blank. God told me blank. God told me blank. God told me blank. I have a friend who we loved on, cared for for so long. We brought her to church. We were trying to work with her for a long time. She was going through some gnarly issues. She finally comes to the place where she says, listen, I, I want to take this on. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to get baptized. She's, she's talking to all of this stuff. We're so excited. We're so jacked up. And what happens? These two Christian guys come into the, into the fray. The first one goes, plays her like a fiddle. And all he ever cared about was getting in her pants. What do you think her idea of the church is after that? So we spend all of this time trying to work with her. Listen, that was just a mistake. It was one bad egg. What happens next? Another guy, another Christian guy does the exact same thing. Guess where she is right now? Wanting nothing to do with any of this. Why? Because a couple of guys were acting like jokes. And you know what they said to her? I think God doesn't want me to be in this relationship. So she wanted nothing to do with God. The last piece of advice is this. 2 Corinthians 6.14 talks about this really difficult idea, and it's about not being unequally yoked. It's the idea, if you're a Christian... Do not date a non-Christian. If you are a Christian, do not date a non-Christian. You might be thinking here as a non-Christian, that's super exclusive. That's the worst thing in the world. Now, uh, let me just break down for one second. What begins to happen is if you're a Christian, you're dating a non-Christian, okay? Your expectations of how things work out in life are gonna be completely different. Say you get married. It, it ends up going that far. You get married, and the first thing is, well, I want to get married in a church. A church? No. Why would you want to do that? That's stupid. Uh, okay. That's just the beginning of things. Say you get pregnant and you have a kid and you start telling 
you know, your spouse or whatever. I want to put my kids in, in a Christian school. Are you ridiculous? Why would you believe any of that nonsense? And all of a sudden there begins to be a little bit more rubbing up. I want to take my kids to church. Why would you take that? That's just a bunch of garbage. And all of a sudden it begins to rub up once again. And what you begin to see is that the two perspectives are so completely different, they will not work together unless one person completely concedes. And all of a sudden it begins to be an unhealthy relationship because what you do is you made me do blank. You made me do blank. You made me do blank. And then fights happen, divorces happen, and families get destroyed. You don't think about it that way here. It's just fun. It's just, it's just us getting to know each other. And that's why when we look at the Bible, when it, says, it says these kinds of things. We have to actually have to stop and look at it and go, is this legit or not? This beautiful expectation. And the last thing is this. For us in the room, it's one of the saddest things in the world. I can pull a coin out of my pocket. A coin. I can put, I can put a coin I can flip this coin and those are the odds of your marriage making it. How scary that is, especially coming from my angle. I'm a married man and the odds of what I'm told that my marriage is gonna stay is us flipping a coin. You know how terrifying that is? You know what's even worse about that statistic? The church isn't really different. Could you imagine if we took this stuff seriously? If in the church we had a 0% divorce rate, imagine how everybody else would look to us. And they really know what love is. They really know how to care. There's something different about those people. And don't you think they would look and go, I want that. Do not allow yourself to get to 50-50 odds. We can do better. We can do more. Not on our own strength, but on his. That's what you have to buy into. If you want the techniques, if you want the tips to be the greatest spouse or the greatest boyfriend or girlfriend, do not trust in those things. Trust in him. Ever thought about praying before you go and date someone? Ever thought about actually taking time to ask God what he feels about maybe some of the things that we're getting ourselves into? What if that's the difference? It changes our perspective on things. The last thing I want to say, I swear to you this is the last thing. I've said like seven times. Is we have to get the expectation of what we feel love is out of our heads and have a completely different perspective. For us, we think of love as the bachelor, you know? Oh my gosh, she's so good looking. Those girls are awful. I should be there, you know? We think that's what love is. It's a guy with a, with a buffet. Or we think it's the bachelorette where it's, where it's the girl with a buffet of guys. And we think that's intimacy. They're all gonna have an, an overnight date. The young, flirtatious, loving couple. That's what love is in our minds. Maybe a different perspective that I want to leave you on with this. And it's a quote by this guy named Alexander Schmemann. And uh, this is what it says. And I think if you can, just, just, just really listen to this. 
In movies and magazines, the icon of marriage is always a youthful couple. But once, in the light and warmth of an autumn afternoon, this writer saw on the bench of a public square in a poor Parisian suburb, an old and poor couple. They were sitting hand in hand, in silence, enjoying the pale light, the last warmth of the season. In silence, all words had been said, all passions exhausted, all storms at peace. Their whole life was behind, yet all of it was now present in this silence, in this light, in his warmth, in this silent unity of hands, present and ready for eternity, ripe for joy. This to me remains the vision of marriage, of its heavenly beauty. How good is that? That the true picture of love is a grandma and a grandpa sitting on a bench, hand in hand, not saying a word. All of their actions, all of their words have been exhausted. They've made it to the very end. Their, their love is so, so tangible to one another, they have to say nothing. They're ready. That's what I think love is. The love that sticks with you, not fleeting, not runs away. The reason why I think that's what true love is because that's what Jesus showed to us. The love that wasn't fleeting didn't just take what you did to account and said, okay, if you do well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you. If you don't, I'm gonna run away. No, his love was an everlasting love, a love that will never leave you. And the most beautiful thing is when he calls us to the mission that we have to go reach people for the gospel, for, for, for his kingdom, the very last thing he says is, behold, lo and behold, I will be with you even to the very end of the age. That is a love that sticks with you, that calls you to himself, that says, no matter, no matter what you've done, I'm not gonna be naive to understand that there's not a lot of people in this room have screwed up already. There's quite a bit of guilt there's quite a bit of shame. You're overwhelmed every day at the thoughts of the things that you have done. Maybe you've even passed it on to who am I? What have I become? I can't believe I am this kind of a person now. And the beauty of a love that sticks with you is that Jesus looks at those things and goes, didn't you know that thing that you're ashamed of? I already paid for that thing that you loathe, that hurts you day after day after day, that you can't get out of your mind, I knew about that thing when I went to the cross. Love conquers all things. It's greater than any sin, it's greater than any hurts, it's greater than any trouble, any pain, any torment. Love conquers all things. And he is the one who on that cross took everything you have and said, listen, the pain that you're feeling is no longer yours anymore. I took it for myself. That's the kind of love that puts your need over and above his want. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the students in this room that we could look to your gospel 
that you came in a perfect life and you died on that cross for our sins and you, you have now brought us into the fold of the family of the people of God and you have rose again in, in victory and dragged us with you through this process. And it's just an amazing thing for us to, 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 to really look at for the first time and go, man, a sacrificial kind of love, a love that lasts, a, a love that looks to the other and says, I, I, I want to I help you more than I want to help myself. This is the kind of love that you have put on display for us to see that we can finally work out in relationships that we have around us. Father, we pray that you just take, take this time to work in our hearts in such a tangible way, to make it known in our minds what it really is that you have called us to in these kinds of situations. That if you've gone too far, you can always start again. It's a new life. You're a new creation in him. The old life is gone. The new has come. That there's beauty in what the gospel says because even if you feel hurt, he feel hurt. Even if you feel like you have gone too far, there are other people who have hurt him to the furthest extent. That everything you feel in your shame and your humiliation, he felt in the humiliation as being put on the cross as a criminal. but there's hope even through your pain. Just as when Jesus was on that cross, there's something more to come. I pray that we can truly take that into our hearts and understand it for the first time. So Father, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, I wanna pray. Amen.